You may be seated. Let's take God's word together this morning and turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 31. And I believe that God has led us to this text for the day. I was walking with some of our friends on the way back from the open air. Imre and I were talking about the Lord's work and this thought came to our mind and to our conversation. And I believe immediately God directed me to this text for today. And this is a very interesting chapter. It's a very sad chapter. It's the sad end of a sad rule and reign, King Saul, the first king of Israel. And uh, it's interesting when you think about the name Saul, it means the desired one, because all of Israel wanted a king. And so God gave them a king. And he did not prove to be what they hoped him to be. He was what they imagined a king should be. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a big man, a giant of a man. And by outward appearance, he looked to be just the man for the job. But we are quickly reminded that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And after some time of disobedience and rebellion to God, we finally find the fate of Saul. Can I tell you that disobedience and rebellion to God always leads to the same end, a life of destruction. And that's where we find Saul, this final battle. The Philistines have crossed over enemy territory into the land of the Israelites. And, and in fact, Saul had been told the day before that he was going to die, him and his sons. And uh, there was no sign of repentance now, that's a humbling thought as well. There was no sign of repentance. It's interesting, the previous chapter, chapter 31, David is winning a great victory. And perhaps at the same time that David is winning a great victory, Saul is losing. And that's oftentimes the way it is. Those who honor the Lord, the Lord honors, gives them victory. And those who rebel against the Lord, he allows them to get what they, really what they want. We find in this very sad story, Saul dying, his three sons dying. Let me remind you, fathers, would you look this way for a moment? Your sins don't affect just you, but they also affect your children. And so Saul was lost his life. His sons died. Three of his sons died. Many of his mighty men died. And... When the rest of Israel heard about it, they forsook their cities and fled. A terribly sad story. And I want you to notice with me, we're going to work our way through this chapter. There's some encouraging things at the end of this story. But before we get to the encouraging things, we've got to see the reality of the situation. And I want to tell you today, most people can see the discouraging truth of our day. Most of humanity can see the bad in the world today, but there is much good and there's much encouragement. But let's start with that discouraging reality. The first six verses explain very clearly the, the reality of, of, of the nation of Israel. In fact, the reality really looked like death. And I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but if you look around us today, the state of Christianity in this country looks like death, doesn't it? It's quite a disturbing sight, especially when you consider that this land at one time was the fire of the whole world. 
that this land was once the hot point, the epicenter, you could say, for the entire world. This land, this country would send forth missionaries and ministers all over the world. If you haven't figured out by now, my, my accent is American, and I recognize that our Christian heritage in America has come from this land. And there are many nationalities represented beneath this tent today, and many of them probably could trace back their Christian heritage to some missionary from this land. But today it's a different story, isn't it? It's very dark. And that's what happened on this day. In verse number one, the Bible says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. You've got the men of Israel falling down, slain, wounded, mortally wounded. Verse number two, the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, you can imagine the, the scene, Saul was mortally wounded. He knew he was going to die, and the enemy was fast approaching. So he said to his armor bearer, you kill me, because I do not want them to do to me like they did to Samson. Remember what they did to Samson? Took him in and made a big show of him and paraded about this mighty leader of the Israeli army. And so they wanted to do the same thing uh, to, the, uh, to King Saul. And so Saul said to his armor bearer, kill me. You just finish it. And of course, he was afraid he wouldn't do it. And so Saul took his sword and he fell on it. Took his own life. Self-destruction. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. And verse 6 summarizes it. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. What a sad day. What a sad day. A day of death, a day of despair. They were all dead. The king of Israel, dead. The desired one, dead. His sons, his posterity, his successors, gone. It's interesting when you think about the names of his sons. There was much more to a name in those days than oftentimes are today. But the name Jonathan, the first one listed there, means Jehovah has given. Jonathan died. All that Jehovah had given seemed to die that day. All that God had given to the nation of Israel seemed to be gone that day. Abinadab, that's the second name listed here. He's, he's called by another name in Scripture, Ishuai. But Abinadab means my father is noble. The reputation of honor, gone. Ishuai means he resembles me. Perhaps it was a nickname uh, that he affectionately was called. Everything that resembled the father, gone, dead. Melchishua, the third son listed there, means my king is wealthy. All the prosperity and power of the king, gone in one day. I can't help but look around this nation and around this land, and not just this one, but the Western world in general, and I cannot help but see that Jonathan is dead. Jonathan means Jehovah has given. All that God has given this nation seems to be dead. 
All that this nation once stood for seems to be gone. Abinadab means my father is noble. The noble, honorable reputation of God Almighty and of Christianity in this land seems to be gone. Christianity has become the laughing stock. I visited Kenya, many of you know, almost two years ago and met some wonderful believers and met some wonderful Christians, wonderful Anglican believers, ministers, and one man, we got to talking together about the word of God, an Anglican minister, and he said to me, I said, you, you, you don't seem like most of the Anglican ministers that I know in the UK. Now, there are some brilliant men of God still standing and still fighting in this country amongst the Anglican church. He said to me, he hung his head, he said, no. He said, actually, unfortunately, it seems as if the state church of the UK has become the laughingstock of Christianity. Think about that. Now, that's not, that's not just the case for the Anglican church. The Baptist church, what does that even mean anymore? Every denomination that once stood for something, it's very hard to find any church of any label that is standing for truth any longer. The honor and glory is gone. Ishuai, the other name for Abinadab, which means he resembles me. I was visiting somebody yesterday, I think. I can't remember how the story went, but I do remember what was said. They said to me, I saw, I met your oldest son. There's no mistaking he belongs to you. And we might nickname Micah Yeshuai. He resembles me. And that was the name given. But can you think for a moment, all that resembles God, the Father, seems to be gone in this country. All that once bore the name and testimony of God seems to be gone. And those who claim to bear the name of God oftentimes bring such reproach to his name because of how unlike God they are. Melchishua, my king is wealthy. At one time, all over the world, people knew that the God of this country was a mighty God. Not because of financial wealth, but the wealth of the king, the king of kings, seems to be gone in this land. What a rich heritage we've lost. I wonder, do you know anything of the rich heritage of this nation? Do you know anything? You say, what's, who cares? A bunch of old, dry, dead people. No, 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 no. You're going to see in a moment how important it is. Do you know anything of the rich heritage that God has given you? What happened on that day that the king died, when the king died and his sons died and all the mighty men died? What happened? How did we lose it all? When did we lose it all? Well, it didn't happen overnight. We didn't get to where we are today as a nation and as a, as a Christian body. We didn't get where we are today overnight. Little by little. We've compromised. Little by little, we've given here. We've allowed this and accepted this. And little by little, we've been pushed and we've gone with it. You look at the life of King Saul, it was marked by disobedience and marked by rebellion. 
and marked by an unwillingness to repent. Would you look here for a moment? Every time you and I refuse to repent, you're getting one step closer to that day of destruction. Every day you refuse to to follow the Lord and in rebellion go against him, then you're getting closer and closer to this day. And there was a reaction. Now this is where it becomes very interesting and applicable to our day in which we find ourselves right now. When word got out that the king was dead and his three sons were dead and the mighty men were dead, there were really only two responses. There were really only two kinds of reaction to such a loss. And can I suggest today that there are really only two responses today to the loss that this nation has experienced as a once Christian nation. There are really only two responses to the body of Christ, to the church of God, when we hear about what we've lost in this nation. The first response, look at it with me. Verse number seven. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, and they that were on the other side, Jordan, when they saw that the men of Israel fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. Here's your first response. They saw, they saw the mighty men of valor running from the enemy. They saw Saul's men, whatever was left of Saul's men, whatever was left of God's men, they saw them running away from the problem, away from the difficulty, away from the enemy. And if the mighty men of war were running, what were they going to do? So in their own hearts, moved with fear that the so-called mighty warriors of the faith were running, had tucked their tail and ran for the hills. There was nothing more for them to do but run. And can I tell you, that the so-called mighty men have run. They've tucked their tails and fled. They've watched. They've watched the rulers and the leaders be destroyed. They've watched the men who were supposed to represent the, the nation of Israel, the people of God. They've, they've watched the people in the pew have watched men in the pulpit tuck their tails and run. And no wonder so many in the pews are following, running. They fled. They saw the armies running and they ran for their lives. And they forsook the cities. Now think about this for a moment. When you turn and run, when we as God's people turn and run, you're not just running for comfort and for your life, but you are leaving all that God has given you. They left the cities that God had given them. And it's an interesting thought. The sin of the leaders, the sin of Saul had affected his sons, had affected the army, the warriors, and affected the nation of Israel so that an entire nation was on the run. In our disobedience, it doesn't stop there. 
Our disobedience really waves a white flag and allows the enemy to take possession of what belongs to God. And there are a number of believers and churches who have waved the white flag to the enemy. And we've given what God has given us, what, what, what is not ours to give away. We've given it over to the enemy. And it gets worse. Because when they fled, the Philistines were emboldened. Anytime you run from the enemy, the enemy is emboldened. Anytime you run from a enemy, whatever kind of enemy it may be, you, you don't just get safety. You think you're running for your life and getting safety, but you are actually empowering the enemy. And here's what they did. The Philistine soldiers came the next day and they found the bodies of Saul and the three sons and they cut off his head. Think about this. Stripped off his armor and sent it into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Here's what they said. Our God is greater than their God. Can I just say to you, every time you bow down and run, you are telling the enemy that their God is greater than yours. Every time you tuck tail and head for the hills in fear, you are saying that your God is unable. And they took the bodies of the king and the sons, desecrated the bodies and publish them around the land to say, look, the God of Israel is weak. The God of Israel is dead. And can I tell you, Satan and all of his principalities and powers are jumping with glee as Christian after Christian has tucked their tail and run. As believer after believer has bowed down in fear and submission to the enemy. We have emboldened, we have emboldened and empowered the enemy and they have disgraced the name of our God. All that God had given them had been possessed by the enemy now. I wonder this morning, what has God given us that we have forfeited to the enemy by running in fear? Have you forsaken the heritage of the saints? Are you running? That's the first response to such a loss. But there is another response. And this is the response that I want to be a part of. There's another response. It's interesting. Uh, verse number seven, when the men of Israel saw, they forsook their cities and fled. But if you look at verse 11, when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose. Well, they were a kind of people, a group of people who saw what the enemy had done and were doing. And in fear, they forsook the cities and they fled. But there was another group of people and it was enough just to hear of it. It was enough just to hear of it. And the Bible says all the valiant men arose. I want to tell you this morning, you can forsake your heritage and run or you can arise. 
That's it. There's no middle ground. You can forsake your heritage and run, or you can arise. Well, I'm not running, but I don't want to make a big fuss. Well, you might as well run. What's the point of staying? All the valiant men arose. and Now, I don't know who the first was to stand up when they heard the news. I can imagine the news coming to those men of Jabesh Gilead that day, and perhaps they're all set about a fire, and news came, word came that Saul, King Saul was dead, and his sons were dead, and all the mighty men were dead, and everybody was running, and the Philistines had begun to take over the cities. I don't know who, but someone, someone that day stood up and said, something must be done. Somebody stood up that day. And by the way, it doesn't really matter who stood up, but when he did or when they did, others stood up also. In fact, all the valiant men arose. Now that tells me something. There were valiant men waiting. There were men of courage and men of inward strength and men of conviction. They were waiting and they knew that it was wrong, but they didn't know how to go about it. They didn't know what to do at all. But the moment one stood up, another stood up, and another stood up, and finally they said, let's go. Let's go. And I believe just as there were valiant men then, there are valiant men today. I don't know where they are. They may be in this congregation here. They may be watching now. I don't know where they are, but I believe there are some valiant men somewhere waiting, waiting for someone to stand up. Why? What use was it? What distinguished these men from the runners? What made the difference? What caused these men to get up and run into the enemy territory rather than running away from the enemy who had already entered into their land? What caused them to do such a thing? Now, we would never have known if God in his infinite wisdom didn't show it to us. Look what it says. Verse number 11. When the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. So we're told there were a certain men from a certain place. Who were these valiant men? Were they gladiators? No, no, no. Were they great warriors? No. They were just grateful men who knew their heritage. What do you mean? Well, back up to 1 Samuel chapter 11. And you'll find out who these men were. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 11, we're introduced to these men of Jabesh Gilead. And the Bible says that Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. Now let me show you what happened. The men of Jabesh Gilead were not always valiant men. Let me encourage you. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm not a very courageous person. I know something's wrong, but... Oh, it frightens me to death. I don't know what to do. These men also weren't always valiant. In fact, an enemy came against them. The Ammonites came against them. And they said, oh, okay, hold on. Let's, let's make an agreement. And we'll serve you. Just don't kill us. Can I tell you, that's exactly what the majority of Christianity is doing today. We'll make an agreement. Uh, just don't destroy us. Just don't kill us. 
who will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all of your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all of Israel. Here's what they said. Okay, we'll make a covenant. We're going to cut out the right eye of everyone in your village, in your town. And that will forever, it will forever testify that the Ammonites are mightier than the Israelites. Every time you bow down and make a covenant with the enemy, you are testifying that their God is greater than yours. You should be ashamed to call yourself a Christian to compromise in such a way because it brings shame to the name of God. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Okay, give us seven days respite, that we may send messengers unto all the coast of Israel, and then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Okay, give us seven days. Then came the messengers of Gibeah of Saul, to Saul, to Gibeah of Saul, and told the tidings in the ears of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul, the man we just read about, who, who had died, Saul came came after the herd out of the field and Saul said, what aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And watch what happens. The spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings and his anger was greatly kindled. Can I tell you something? It ought to anger you. There ought to be something that burns inside of you. When the enemy makes such threats towards the people of God, there ought to be something that burns that says this is an outrage. And so he took a yoke, watch this, Saul took a yoke of oxen, two oxen, two cows, you know what that is, hewed them in pieces and cut them in a bunch of pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of his messengers saying, whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people and they came out with one consent. Here's what Paul said. If you don't get up out of your houses and come out here and fight with me, I'm going to go and destroy all of your cows, all of your oxen. Everybody, everybody got up and they came because here was a man who stood up, a man who stood up for injustice and stood up for the, uh, for, for the people and they recognized, okay, this chap means business. And so here they came and when he numbered them and Basic, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said unto the messengers that came, so they talked back to the Ammonites Listen to this. Just a few days ago, seven days ago, they said, oh, let's make a covenant. And now they write back and they say unto the men of uh, Jabesh, uh, they said tomorrow that by the time the sun be hot, you shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh and they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out unto you and you shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. Now, my, have their minds been changed. Seven days ago, they were frightened to death. They were compromising willing to make a pact with the enemy, willing to be a servant of the enemy. And now, when they realized that there were valiant, mighty men in the land, and they realized they weren't alone, they said, bring it on. Bring it on. And it, something is empowered and emboldened in the life of a believer when others begin to stand up. I heard this week, some of you may have heard, of, a, of an elderly gentleman, he's a pastor, 
who was arrested in Slough or in Uxbridge this week for preaching the gospel. And he was really manhandled by the local police, the local authorities there. And the video was passed around and I'd say thousands saw it. And it did something in the heart of those who realized that was wrong. It did something inside of them. It stirred them and caused them to stand and say, this is an injustice. One by one, men have begun to stand. Well, on the morrow, Saul put the people in three companies. They came in the midst of the host in the morning, watch, and they slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. And so because of Saul, Jabesh Gilead was spared. And so if you fast forward to 1 Samuel 31, Saul's now dead. The man who God used to save these people was dead. And so the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, when the news came that their savior, Saul was, in a sense, the one God used to save them. Their savior was dead and dishonored and disgraced. They said, we will not stand for this. Now, can I just say, if these men could do that for a dead and sinful Savior, how much more should we rise up for a living, holy, righteous Savior? How much more should we rally together and stand up for the glory and honor of God? It bothered them to hear of such a disgrace. It angered them. Something burned inside of them that said something must be done. Can I ask you this morning, is there something burning inside of you? Does it bother you that the name of our God has been disgraced? Or do you just take it on the chin? Let us rise. All the valiant men arose. All the strong and courageous men arose. Tomorrow, can you grab me a copy of the hymn book, please? Bunyan wrote a hymn entitled, He Who Valiant Would Be. He Who Would Be Valiant. A beautiful hymn that speaks about standing up when nobody else wants to. Let me see if I can find it here quickly. I think it's in the other one, Redemption Hymns. That's okay. Now these men, think for with me for a moment. These men may not have been valiant before that day. But can I tell you the moment they stood up, they were. They may not have been valiant on that day, but the moment they stood up, they became counted and numbered amongst the valiant. And the Bible says they went all night. They weren't trying to make a name for themselves. They were trying to preserve the name of their great God and his servants. They tell me that it was a 10-mile journey. Can you imagine on foot going 10 miles there and back in a night? No sleep. A matter of urgency. Now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next month. Now. However many there be, let's get up and let's go. Why? For the love of their God, the appreciation of their heritage, and for the hope of their future. Christians, do you love your God? 
Or are you content to sit back while people like Friedrich Nietzsche in 1882 once wrote, God is dead. God is dead and reason is enthroned. Does that bother you? Listen to the words of Mr. Bunyan. He who would valiant be against all disaster, let him in constancy follow the master. There's no discouragement shall make him once relent his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim. Whoso beset him round with dismal stories do but themselves confound. His strength the more is. No foe shall stay his might, though he with giants fight. He will make good his right to be a pilgrim. Since, Lord, thou dost defend us with thy spirit, we know we at the end shall life inherit. Then fancies flee away. I'll fear not what men say. I'll labor night and day to be a pilgrim. What about you? Will you? Or will you be afraid and run? Give up everything that God gave you. All the valiant men arose. They went all night, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshem, came to Jabesh, burnt them there, took their bones, buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Because their on, the honor and glory of their God demanded it. And nothing has changed today. The honor and glory of God demands that his people stand up for truth, for the truth of his word, for the honor of his name. That's what we're standing for, for the glory of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ, because of the rich heritage of the saints who've gone before, because of Ridley, Latimer, and Cranmer were burned at the stake here in Oxford. Think about it. Have they died in vain? No, no, no. They knew. They knew what they were dying for. And Latimer said to Rid Ridley on that day, play the man. Play the man, Master Ridley. May we today light such a flame as I trust shall never be put out. And it's still flickering. Maybe very dimly and maybe very low, but it's still flickering. And all it needs is for a few to stand up. And so others also might stand. Will you be one of those valiant men? All the valiant men arose. But the others ran. They forsook the cities and fled. God forgive those who have forsaken the things of God and run. And may God keep us from ever doing the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come this morning humbly before before our great God we thank thee for Christ who did not run but stood the truly valiant one the truly courageous one our Savior Jesus Christ who was willing not just to stand but to die that we might live Forgive us for the days we've been ashamed of our Savior. Forgive us for the days that we have cowered in fear. Instead, we pray that today thy spirit may fill us and empower us and embolden us. 
that we might be used of thee to make such a stand for thy glory, for the thing that matters, for the testimony of thy name. God, please help us. Help us to have only fear for thee. No longer a fear for man and no longer for a fear of what man may say, but instead only fear for thee. Help us to love thee so much and to recognize that our Savior has died for us and risen again. And the very least we can do is stand for him. Help us today. May some of thy people move from the fearful to the valiant today. May there be some of thy dear saints today that are brought from fear to faith and valor. Use us for thy glory, Father. May we be like those men who went all night for thy namesake and for thy glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a very appropriate hymn in closing. Hymn number four, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross. Some of these songs have almost been forgotten over the last year, haven't they? Some of these songs and texts and scriptures have almost been forgotten or ignored intentionally because they make us feel a little bit feeble. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross. Let's stand. Hymn number four.
stand up for Jesus. It's interesting when you think about that story. When everybody ran, the enemy came and stole everything. And as Christians are running today, the enemy is stealing everything. They're stealing our children. Think about it. They're stealing our heritage. They're rewriting history. Think about it. Stand up for Jesus. Bunyan wrote that beautiful book, Pilgrim's Progress. There's a character in it called Valiant for Truth. Courageous for Truth. That's what we should be. If you walk through Christ Church Meadow, entering through the gates off of uh, St. Aldate Street there, there's a little inscription right outside of the beautiful gardens of Christ Church. There's a sword in the footpath. And a quote above that sword. Most people walk over top of it and never see it and never even notice it. And it says, my sword I give to him that shall succeed me in my pilgrimage. That's a quote from Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. From Valiant for Truth. The sword must be passed on. When one great valiant man dies, another one needs to stand. And there have been a lot of valiant men who have gone on, they've died, but very few have stood in their place. It's time to stand. All the valiant men arose. We're living in a very weak society and day and age, aren't we? Very little demonstration of valor and of courage. But may it be restored, and may it be restored with the people of God. May God help us. Let's pray together, then we'll be on our way. Father, we ask of thee to help us to stand up for Jesus. Help us to truly be soldiers of the cross. To stand for truth, for what matters. To stand for the testimony of Jesus Christ our Lord. To stand for thy glory. To stand for the truth of thy word and the doctrines found within it. Stir us, Lord, I pray. May this be just a little example of what it was in the camp of the Jabesh Gileadites when they heard that news. May today there be a stirring and an arising. May we sing with Charles Wesley, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. Help us, we pray. Use us for thy glory. May we go from strength to strength, from one demonstration of valor to the next not for our namesake but for thine for truly thou art worthy and thou alone we pray these things in the name of jesus our lord and savior and for his 